We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneider. Nick Filato. Tonight we are going to talk about the New York Giants offense on the All-22 film against the Las Vegas Raiders in their Week 9 victory We talked a little bit about this just as a heads up in a podcast that will drop later this week. That podcast is a mid-season point state of the Giants offense on film from everything we reviewed. We'll talk a little about this game because this game, I think, was important in breaking down where this offense is at right now. But we're going to also dive into it way more in depth in this podcast, as always. And we might repeat some things because there are some things that are worth repeating. So I want to start with some overall thoughts on this offense in this game in your mind, Nick. Nick, but first, let me give you some of the stats. The Giants had just 245 yards of total offense. And I say just 245 yards of total offense because that's not a lot of total offense. They had 10 possessions and only 245 yards, just 4.5 yards per play. On the flip side, the Raiders had 10 possessions and 403 yards. So, you know, 150 more yards, more than 150 yards of total offense. Obviously, some of that, like you've talked about, and we'll talk about on a future podcast. It's almost like we're time traveling because we recorded that one already before this one. But... <laughs> You know, is because of the game plan and because of the fact that they had the ball for a while. But 
it's I mean, it's fair to say the Giants struggle to move the football in this game, or at least not move the football. They struggle to create chunk plays and they struggle to score touchdowns in this game. I think that's the fair way to say it because they move the ball through the run game. The Giants had 149 yards rushing and 4.8 yards per carry. That is a healthy, strong run game, but they were 0 for 2 in the red zone. They were 0 for 2 in the red zone and one of seven of their 23 points came off of McKinney pick six. Another three off of McKinney interception where they barely moved the ball. So really, if you take out those 10 points, they scored 13 points on offense, a couple field goals and a touchdown on the opening drive, just 4.5 yards per play overall, but also just 4.2 yards per pass attempt. That was really what hurt them in this game. As far as just like, like I said, generating chunk plays and scoring touchdowns, which again are things you need to do uh, on offense. Like those are probably the, number one and number two objectives of most coaches. Uh, now I, I'm not so sold. That's the number one and two objective of these coaching staff, at least not right now. Um, hopefully over time it will evolve into that because I just do strongly believe those are the two most important things, but I did want to bring up those points, Nick, and I want to get your take on what you thought about this offense. Do you just feel like it's fair to look at this game and say, you know what? This offensive line getting 245 yards is good, right? They were able to run the ball. That's good. Or do you look at it like, the Giants really didn't have the best game plan to attack this defense and to maximize touchdowns and, and big plays. I think a lot of it was just the fact that the Giants were a little hesitant to allow Daniel Jones to cook via Russell Wilson because of Max Crosby, Yannick Ngakwe, and the pass rush of the Raiders in the current state of the Giants' offensive line. And to some of the earlier points, the Giants did not have the ball for an extended period of time, almost an hour of real time, because Oakland ended the first half with a 10-play 56-yard drive. Then there was the McKinney pick six. And then there was a 15-play 85-yard drive that knocked about eight minutes of time off the clock. And then the Giants were just doing what the Giants do under Jason Garrett and Joe Judge. A lot of long drives, nine plays, 43 yards, 13 plays, 62 yards that end in only three points. So that's just the current state of the New York Giants. But two of those 10 drives that the Giants had were also at the end of each half. So I kind of discredit both of those. They didn't even run, I believe, any plays other than a kneel down in two of those drives. So they really only had eight drives. I'm not sticking up for the Giants offense by any means. I just kind of wanted to provide that context because I do believe that it is important. But overall, the Giants had an uber conservative game plan here and they came away with a win. As I said in a future podcast that everyone should listen to, please download. <laughs> the Giants aren't going to win long term with this type of approach. They need to be able to push the ball vertically and create explosive plays through the air. But with all that said, they did end up getting a victory here, which is something good to take away, I think. Yeah, for sure. It's great they got this win. They needed a win, like I said, you know, on the future pod. But uh, it's worth saying again, it finally broke their way. I mean, this this season's been just a slew of bad breaks. They didn't get any breaks in that Chiefs game. They they should have won the Falcons and Washington games. They were the better team both days and lost both days. And so those were three losses, two especially, that they should have back. And they finally got one. You know, they had three turnovers. One was a pick six. And so it was the point, like, it's interesting to look at this offensive game planning because you look at it like, in one way, and it's like, wow, the Giants won the point of attack in the run game. They ran the ball really well, really consistently, and early and often, and even at the end of the game when they had to run the ball, and all they were going to do was run the ball, they still ran the ball well. Some of their best runs came when the Raiders knew they were going to run the ball. That's one way to look at it. That's great. But there's also another way to look at it, which I think is fair as well, which is like, 
the objective of this game is still to score touchdowns. The Giants were 0 for 2 in the red zone and haven't been scoring well in the red zone all year. They're dead last of the worst offense in the red zone. Or and they didn't have any long touchdown. They I'm sorry, they had one long touchdown on their first drive and they threw the ball on second and five and they took a 30-yard shot to Ingram and they connected on it. But aside from that, there were no pass plays. There was, I mean, the the two balls to Galladay, which one was incredibly incredible throw from Jones, one of the best I've seen from him in my mind all season, just because like for me with a Jones, a lot of what I've seen from Jones, it's actually a good question for you. We should have probably addressed on the state of the offense, but I'm curious to get your take on it. What do you make of quarterbacks who don't on film show off a lot of tight window throws? Because there was one throw he made to Galladay in this game that was insanely tight window. And I am always so impressed when I watch quarterbacks across the NFL and when I scout them coming into the NFL with the ones who can make and try to make and complete these tight window throws where you're just like, oh my God, there's three defenders in the area. There's literally just one throwing lane to get this ball, to fit this ball into, and it got there. And he did that on one of those Galladay throws, on one of those quick in-breakers. I think it was the one for 14. What do you make of us not seeing many tight window throws on it? Well, first of all, do you agree that we haven't seen a whole lot of tight window throws through the first, uh, what is it, nine games? And secondly, would you? what are some of the reasons we might have not seen uh, as many? Honestly, I mean, I, I think I've seen Daniel Jones thread the needle. Maybe not to this No, 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 no. I'm not saying have we seen him thread the needle. I'm not saying that at all. He's obviously done that. I'm saying have we seen it often? Have we seen him try and complete a lot of tight window type throws? I feel like it's been so- a solid amount relative okay. to how many times he drops back. I-, I don't think he's shy to try to fit the football in. And I think looking at his earlier career back when under Pat Shermer, he would probably do it to a fault and – put the ball into a position where it was easily intercepted. So I don't think it's a, a huge issue with Daniel Jones, but there have been times where we have felt on film that, Hey, there was a window there and he was just a little hesitant. And that's all you get. You get that one split second. If you don't make that decision, if you're not decisive, you hold on to the football a little bit too long, then you're not going to be able to capture that opportunity. And you have to look off the read and find somebody else. So all in all, I think it's a little bit hit or miss, I think would be my answer there. Yeah, I don't know if I would. I don't know why. The, I'm, I'm trying to find kind of reason why. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i be curious what Mark says about this too because I don't know if the reason is – I don't think necessarily this is Daniel a Daniel Jones problem. I think it could also just be a Jason Garrett problem potentially, a pass protection problem, all these things working together. But I do honestly feel like having watched so much Jones on film, there are not many tight window throws attempted in this offense, at least not this season. Like – at least just watching, you know, every week other teams on just one off island games, the the primetime games and red zone. There are some tight window throws I see all the time from a lot of quarterbacks. And that's without even watching their film where I, you know, can't see the full grasp of it. Um, and just even watching other quarterbacks who play the Giants, I feel like they're a solid amount more. But I, I th- I'm not saying that's a Jones issue. I'm, I was just curious of your take of if that might be something that we should just put on our radar when it comes to Jones. Because really, there, the, besides the Ingram throw, which wasn't even truly like the tightest window. He had a one-on-one there, but really. So besides the Galladay throw, I'm not sure I've, I saw any on the film of this game, for example. The Galladay throw was definitely one. And then the Ingram throw too. There was less than one yard of separation there. He put it high. I feel like that's a, a tight window throw. You're trusting your guy in that situation. You're trusting Evan Ingram to climb the ladder and high point. If that's not necessarily something that Evan Ingram has shown to do on a consistent level, but I would definitely give him credit for that. And I think ESPN, I don't know if you saw this, man, they classified that pass as a quote unquote dime. Did you see that? No, I didn't see that, but that's great to hear. Yeah, It's a stat, I guess, that they they have. I saw it like come on on the ESPN tracker several different times. So it wasn't just some fluky type of thing. And a dime to them is a 
pass completed with 20 or more air yards when the receiver has one or less yards of separation. And Daniel Jones, I think, had eight or nine of them in his career. Yeah, so eight or nine of them in his career. I feel like uh, is that I don't. I would have to see relative to the rest of the quarterbacks how that. So would I. I think that's. I think that's a solid amount though. Like, and again, I don't have any of those statistics in front of me. ESPN mm-hmm. was building it up like it was a solid amount. They might have just been like saying it because it's Danny Dimes and it was a dime type of pass, and they're trying to play on words there a little bit. Maybe that's why. But think about it: twenty yards downfield, less than one yard of separation. I mean, that that throw to Galladay was beautiful, but that didn't go for twenty yards. Didn't have twenty air yards. Twenty air yards—that's that's a deep pass. That's an explosive ball. Usually, you're yeah. making that throw with more than one yard of separation off of the read that you made that decision that Darius Slate beat the guy off a line of scrimmage, and that's going to force you to throw that football. You throw him into space. You throw with anticipation or whatever the route is. You make that decision, and typically, the receiver has more than one yards. Yeah, I think he does a great job of throwing those deep balls as well. And they don't typically seem like they have all that much separation. I'm, I think he does a great job of that. I'm kind of class. I'm thinking of a different type of throw when I'm just wondering. So this is not the be all end of the throw I'm thinking about. I'm just curious what, what you know, how many of these he's done. So to me, the Galladay throw, for example, while it wasn't 20 yards down the field, was easily in my mind the best throw of the game for him. And it wasn't even close. The Ingram throw was a great throw. It was the second best. But to me, it's that Galladay throw because there's three defenders in the area that are in that Galladay's in between when he throws that ball. And if he throws that ball any more left, that underneath defender's probably getting his hand on it or can get his hand on it. If he throws that ball with any less velocity, the you know, the defender above him is going to break on it and maybe break it up or any more to the right. And it's probably going to be incomplete from that way. So I just feel like those type of it reminds me of kind of like that Manningham throw in the Super Bowl. Those two, and even the Manningham throw um from Eli against San Francisco in the NFC championship game. Remember that was like a third and 12 or something. He ripped the 17 yard TD. That's one of like most under in my mind, the most underrated throws to Eli Manning's career. That was such an incredibly big time throw into one of the tightest windows you can imagine on a third and long. And so I, I more so mean those throws and I'd be curious to know the stats on those ones, but I don't know if ESPN has anything regarding that because I do agree with what you said at the beginning of this, which is like, we saw it more in Pat Shermer's offense. And yeah, there were some throws that were like, Oh crap, that's a turnover worthy throw, but there's also chances for big plays. And I always will take the turnovers. If you can at least move the ball and create big plays, I'll take the turnovers with that. Like it's so much better to me than just, you know, moving the ball 110 yards in the air in a full game or something like that, which we, we saw in this game. And obviously didn't lead to too much offense. But let's talk about the offense and their and their plan because they were obviously amazing in the run game. This was the best run performance by the Giants this season by far. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely, man. They were moving bodies, bro. It was awesome to see. And it started on the first series, which is the best part. So, like, we knew right away this team could win the point of attack. We haven't felt that way about this Giants offensive line against a defensive line all season long. Do you think in any game prior to this, Nick, or first of all, do you think it happened in this game? And then second question, it's a two-part question. In any game prior to this, Nick, do you think the Giants' offensive line won at the point of attack in the run game versus the opposing defensive front? I think there were definitely instances of them winning at the point of attack and the totality of it. I, I mean, I, I would probably say no, but I would have to really go back and actually think about that. I don't want to be too... Uh too quick with that analysis. But in this specific game, talking about this Las Vegas Raiders win, the Giants won the point of attack. They were moving bodies. They were using the philosophy of the Raiders' defense against them, the upfield pressure, the penetration. Their combo blocks were on point, the ace and deuce. 
Their duo blocks were great. They were really vertically displacing the defensive linemen and creating nice cutback lanes that Devontae Booker hit with uh, a lot of authority, to be honest, because Devontae Booker, he's a decisive guy, man. He's a, he's a good running back. He, he, he really is. He's not going to win you over with any type of speed or anything like that, but he – he hits the hole. He can change direction really, really quickly. His footwork is excellent. He's a, He was a good signing. He was. Yeah, I think he was a good signing. You know, it's tough to say. I think there are a lot of other running backs you can get. So it's a little bit diluted, the position. But he's like, I'm not so sure Jamal Williams can do a lot of this personally. And, and you know, just players of that nature. Uh, you know, you hit on a mid-round guy at running back. We've seen a lot of rookies come in and play good roles over the years and this year included, but he works. You know, it's a good signing because he is good. And he, like you said, he does a great job. I think the thing you've said last podcast is my favorite thing that Booker does. And you, and ever since you said it, Nick, I've been looking for it on the film and you see instance of it. He sets up those linebackers so well and he's patient. And I even saw him on one play set up where he wanted Will Hernandez to go and then make a really nice cut to the outside for a seven-yard gain like, really nice toward the end of the game something i it was so creative to watch like he slowed down he didn't pick the hole that was obviously right there and it seemed like he should have gone to waited a little bit push <laughs> hernandez into that hole and then had the outside to break into and it's just like it's fun to watch him run the football he reminds me of just what when i watch guys like nick chubb when i watch guys like dalvin cook the way they set up their blocks the way they can weave in and out of holes their patience and their ability to kind of stop and start but it's not really that ability everyone you know barkley has incredible ability to stop and start it's really the patience where i think stands out the most for me with booker what trait would you say stands out the most after seeing this game on film and kind of what he's done all season since he was elevated into that rb1 role i would say decisiveness Decisiveness and decision making. Right when he gets the football, man, he he uses his jump cut and he and he reads the linebackers very very well. There was a, like a third and two rush late in the game. There was one in the second quarter where Booker saw the linebacker penetrate the B gap so quickly, so he just bounces it outside to a contained defender who comes down low and really just attacks Booker. But Booker ends up falling through the contact, which is another thing he does well. He finishes hard and picking up the two yards and, and plays like that, man, just aren't necessarily something that you always see from running backs. Well, this was the one spot that Booker could have went with the blocking that was in front of him for him to be able to pick up this first down and continue the drive. And he did so well. And he did this several times throughout the game. Yeah, he really had, this is what the second week in a row he's, I mean, we don't want to spoil it, but probably, you know, going to make our list of the best player on film because he was, he was their best offensive player again. And it's not hard to see when you run for 149 yards as a team and you only throw for uh, 100 and what was it? 110. It's obviously not going to be some huge surprise, but there were other value, you know, valuable players that played in the role. And we're going to talk about all that. Okay. First drive. One thing I liked about the first drive that I want to get your take on to begin with is the screen call on first down. I thought if this ball was handled a little better, it could have been a huge game. There was blocking starting to formulate in front of Booker. And we've seen what Booker can do in space. He had a 47 yard uh, run after the catch last week. Do you think the Giants kind of should have used the screen game a little bit more given how aggressive the Raiders were? Absolutely, man. I think the Giants could have probably sprung a couple big ones. They really didn't go back to it much. I'm trying to think they went back to it at all in this game after that first drive. And I'm a little curious as to why they weren't. I know they were running the ball a lot successfully on first down and third and short situations. But yeah, I was a little... Uh, I was a little curious at the end watching the game and thinking, hmm, they probably missed an opportunity to spring a couple big big plays there. But I'm wondering if the Raiders possibly were just really tracking on it, which they weren't on that first play, but 
the Giants put it on film a lot against Kansas. Right. They, they really were. And it seemed like they were paying attention to Devontae Booker whenever he was around the line of scrimmage or when he was in pass protection. There was always somebody around him, it seemed like. Now, he had a couple dump-offs to the flat, which is a totally different scenario. But I'm wondering why exactly that wasn't called again. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I think part of it is just is um, is that, you know, we saw later in the game. I think they tried it one more time. It was to Penny and it was a seven yard loss later in the game. But it was really late in the game when they tried it. And that was kind of it. I, looking through my notes, I don't think I have any other screen calls. So it would be something that maybe they should try more to work into their game. Like, 
I feel like when you have these teams that are this aggressive and aligning and aligning this wide from the edge, you can take advantage of their aggression. Like you said, they have a lot of penetrators on that line. So take advantage of that. Even a middle screen. I would love to see them call middle screen. Teams in the NFL don't use middle screen. I love middle screen. It's one of my favorite plays. I see that Wisconsin used it a lot for a lot of years really successfully. I feel like it's such a safe play that almost every time I see it run, it's like six to eight yards. But anyway, break down the 16-yard run from Booker because we mentioned just earlier, like, listen, this was the drive where they immediately established themselves as we could win the point of attack today. We could be the team that beats your defensive line on our offensive line. That's something, not something we've done at any point this year. We'll beat you with duo blocks. We'll beat you right away at the point of attack. Like you said, maybe not get to the second level against the linebackers. That's not something I think this Giants offensive line might be able to do at any point in the season with their current group, but at least win at the line of attack. So did you see that happen on the 16-yard run by Booker? Absolutely, man. This is 13 personnel without Corey Cunningham. They use Corey Cunningham a lot in 13 personnel, but they actually used all three of their tight ends. They had two to the strong side, the play side. And when you run duo, man, you need tight ends who can block. You can't really get away with a tight end who isn't that great as a blocker, especially when you run to the play side. That play side tight end really needs to be a good blocker here. And it's just a duo block where Matt Skura and Matt Parrott form a double team on the three technique. And Booker's going to run off the ass of Matt Parrott here and right in between the block of Caden Smith, who was blocking right over the six technique. Caden Smith holds up excellently on this play, man. He really does. Kyle Rudolph does a good job outside of him holding up. And Matt Parrott and Skura just drive the three technique off the ball. The linebacker, and this is another thing about the Raiders defense that I thought happened throughout the entire game. Their linebackers were really not disciplined and they really were not great. It really makes me value someone like Blake Martinez and even someone like Tay Crowder because these linebackers were shooting gaps really early all game. They wanted to use Jonathan Abram as a linebacker in the box. I felt like he was wildly undisciplined and made a lot of bad decisions as well. But if you watch on this play, man, the linebacker Linebacker shoots the A-gap here. Skura is able to come off his double team, pick him up, and then Booker just finds the C-gap, squeezes through. And this could have been a much bigger run if it was Saquon Barkley. Javon Merrick makes a really nice tackle in the open field here. But that's just excellent blocking up front. Not the best linebacker play from the Raiders. Yeah, it's funny. They were really the two times I feel like the Giants running game has been at its best since the Jason Garrett era begun, like since the system came in, were against two of the most undisciplined teams at the second level and at the third level. It was the Seahawks last year. They played a completely undisciplined game. Like the safeties were so undisciplined in the run game in that game. And then this game against the Raiders, I'm sure like other teams will probably take it to the Raiders. From watching this game, I feel like teams are going to be able to run the ball in the Raiders for the rest of the season if they want to commit to actually running the ball against them. Like, they believe that's in their best interest uh specifically for me i only have two i don't have too much more on this drive obviously that play at the 11 31 mark first and 10 just a good example of jones escaping bad pass protection from his two tackles i mean both parents sold are not great on this one but then obviously the second and five call i mean look they went with what you talked about on the reaction podcast they took a chance here to score seven points that's Something I love to see them do. It's second and five here. They could have easily tried to do some kind of spacing route to the sticks to pick up five or run the ball again. But they took a shot and good things happen. Break down why this route combination was able to put stress on the Raiders' defensive backs and give Ingram a chance to have a one-on-one situation where he can high point the ball from Daniel Jones. First off, it was 12 personnel here, and it was built off the play action. Both tight ends, they're to the field side here. So it's selling like it's going to be a run to the field side. Giants have had success running to the field side towards the strength. And then the Giants also have two receivers to the boundary here. And that is Evan Ingram, 
who is also a tight end. So this is 13 personnel. And then Colin Johnson. This is a pure running formation. You don't have Kenny Galladay out there. You don't have Kadarius Tony out there. You don't have Darius Slay. Now they have Colin Johnson out there, one of your bigger guys who can also block. So the Giants basically just hit the play action, and it's an out and up from Evan Ingram as the number two receiver with Colin Johnson running a deep post. So Colin Johnson is going to clear out that deep one-third defender here, right? And Evan Ingram is going to run out, which gets – Jonathan Abram, who's originally in a zone type of alignment, eyes on Daniel Jones. He feels that Evan Ingram is running out. So he flips his hips and gets running towards Evan Ingram on the out pattern, reacting, taking an angle like that. And Evan Ingram turns it upfield. Abram has to kind of face, and the technique here isn't terrible from Abram because he has to face the sideline. and He's basically playing outside in. Basically, it means he's facing Evan Ingram, and now he can also maintain contact with the upfield arm while knocking the ball down with the arm that's facing Daniel Jones. So the positioning is good. This is what Jerome Henderson teaches the Giants secondary, but the throw is just excellent here. This is a one-on-one matchup, Ole Miss versus Mississippi State, baby. And Evan Ingram just high points it and beats Abram to the spot. But what is important about that deep post from Colin Johnson is it's going to remove that defender from his third, but it's also going to occupy the safety. So this isolates Abram against Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram is about six foot four. He's much more athletic than Abram is. Abram is like six one, six foot. And Daniel Jones just puts the ball high and allows his player to make a play. Yeah. I mean, great throw from Jones, like you said before, great high point by Ingram, but most importantly to me, great job by Jason Garrett on this individual play. It's like, why I want to see more of this type of stuff, right? You like you said it best, man. They bring in Colin Johnson. It's second and five. They've been such an obvious run team. It's heavy personnel. They're yeah, they're showing the defense. They're screaming out loud. We're going to run the ball. Everything they've done and everything they've shown on this play is run, run, run. And then they take the vertical shot. That just needs to be a little bit more and not a little bit more. I'm sorry. A lot more in his DNA. I get it. The tackles are horrible right now. When Thomas is back, there's no more excuses for that. And even before that, man, it just there are ways to do it with Max Protect. There are ways to give you a chance to, out of a run formation like this, we're just showing run, 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 you pass. And if, or if you're showing pass by pass, you run. That's like keep the defense off guard. They did a great job of it here. I love to see it. And the Giants were able to put seven points on the board. They threw three on three first downs on this drive. The rest of the game, they only threw on three first downs. They threw three on one drive, then the rest of the game. That, to me, says something. I don't think that's a coincidence at all. And I think all of what we've seen the last three years across the league tells you it's probably not a coincidence either. But the Raiders score. The Giants get the ball back after that 7-7 game. And we're like, oh, my God, are we in the midst of a shootout? Are the Giants going to get in the first shootout of the year? Are they going to score 30 points? Are the Giants going to score 30 points? But uh, <laughs> my dreams were a little bit quelled on this second drive. I did think that. On the first and 10 from the Giants 25 with 544 remaining in the first here. Great patience by Booker. Like this was an example. I have so many times right in my notes, like great patience, Booker, great patience, Booker. He sets up the linebacker here. He sets up his box. He turns five, he turns a gain of what I thought should have been maybe one, two into five because of how he ran the ball here. But I wanted to get your take on that, but also then the wildcat play, because to me, it looks like, well, first dive into that play. If you have any notes on that or any other plays that before the wildcat play. I love that first and 10 run right there by Devonte Booker, because you're right, man. Perriman just shoots in. Matt Skurr does a good job coming off his combo block and making contact with him, but there's a little stutter step by Booker that freezes uh, number 34, I believe it is actually. Uh, so it's right. Uh, it freezes right in his tracks. And that allows Will Hernandez also to just get enough of Perriman for Booker to find a little bit of space to get an extra yard or two, I would say. So those are just little things that Booker does that I absolutely love to see on his film. And as for that, 
wildcat play, man. I mean, I didn't really love it. The Giants used some tempo on the drive, and I love that part of it. But the third and two was just a direct snap to Kadarius Tony, where Carl Nassib, man, he just did an excellent job being disciplined and forcing Tony to keep that football while reacting well once that decision was made. Right. On a play like that, I, I would like to see the polar Matt Skura actually block the read defender. And I know that's that's not what you're taught. That is not what the play design is. It's not Matt Skura's fault. He's not supposed to block Nassib here. However, all you need is two yards. And I think Tony easily picks up two yards, falls forward for two yards with those second-level defenders coming in, but they're not necessarily in his immediate vicinity. It's Nassib who is there. Nassib executed that play just about as well as you could as a read defender. I would love for the Giants to kind of add something in there to have Skura block him, and then he could end up picking up those two yards. It's just because it's all contextual and situation. It's not on Skura. He's not tasked to block him, but something that kind of popped out to me. That's so funny, Nick, because I was before we got into that, I was going to ask you that because it's right here in my notes. I'm like, why is the D end completely unblocked here by design? My question to you is like, and you just broke it down. I don't think you know the answer either. I don't know the answer either. I don't think this is schematically a good design. I don't. I agree with you. I think don't worry about the second level defenders. All you need is two yards. Tony's a little slithery guy. He'll dive forward and he'll position himself to get that first. But first and most importantly, make sure you don't just have a DN completely unblocked here. I know he's the read defender. I get that. It's his own read. He's a read defender. But that, I don't know if we need to like have a read defender in this play. I think you just need to get two yards and block down this guy first. So. Uh, maybe it's just something that we'd have to ask Garrett to to kind of get the schematics behind it, right? Not necessarily. I mean, it's a zone read play. So you're reading the defender. That defender is basically not going to have a blocker. So now you're plus one in terms of blocking the defense to that play side because you don't have to block him. It's just NASA played it so well because he stayed square to Kadarius Tony the right. whole time while flowing laterally with Devontae Booker. And Tony was just like, okay, he's flowing laterally, even though he's still square to me somehow. I'm going to keep it and try to get past. And acid was all over that. that. That's phenomenal play by the kid. And that's kind of why I feel like there's a little bit of a flaw in the design though, because as I like ran that playback, I don't know if you got the same feeling. I ran that back a bunch and I was like, you know what? Even if he gives the ball to Booker, NASA makes the play on Booker too. I really felt like NASA was in a position to make the play on Tony or Booker there. Yeah, it was an excellent technique and, and play by Nassib on that one. And that's why I, I wanted Skura to make that block, even though right. that's not the way it's originally designed. It's just two yards. That's all you need on that place. Yeah, it's just two yards. Get to the 46. All right, Raiders punt. Giants get the ball back. They go empty. First time all game. Take a chance, baby. The minute Jones hits that back foot, Ngakwe is about is, is already around Matt Parrott. Jones has to step up. Jones feels it. He sees it early, but he just the grip, man. I don't know if it's a grip or whatever it is, but he's got to hold this ball. This is a bad fumble by Jones. It's his seventh of the year. That's a lot for a quarterback. He's had the most fumbles, I believe, of any quarterback since he entered the NFL. I'm pretty sure that's correct stat. Not the most fumbles lost. I'm not sure, but I think it's definitely the most total fumbles, some of which the Giants were lucky enough to recover here. What do you make of this whole play and kind of Jones, Parrott, Solder, everybody on this? And then you're right. Daniel Jones has to hang on to that football. I mean, those hands, they're sub 10 inches, man. They're nine and three fourths and the 10 inches is the threshold. Everyone says, but uh, his grip strength isn't all that great. And it's just a switch release on this play from the two wide receiver side. 
You had Devontae Booker, I think, ran the wheel with Colin Johnson on a deep post. You had a horizontal cross from the number three receiver, Evan Ingram, Darius Toney, the number two to the strong side, ran a drag. Darius Slayton was the number one. He ran just an in route, and the protection just absolutely broke down. You can't be in a five-man protection with this offensive line with Max Crosby and Yannick Ngakwe, and it just wasn't a great – I guess you could say play overall by the Giants. And it kind of goes to the point where, yeah, the Giants didn't run a lot or pass a lot on first down for the rest of this game. They did it two more times and it did not end well on those two times. One was a holding penalty when Jones rolled out. And the other one was a roughing the passer, which was good for the Giants, but Jones ended up getting nailed by Max Crosby on a play action boot. So other than those, these three plays after the first drive were the three plays that they tried passing on first down. None of them, other than the roughing pass, which you don't want your quarterback taking a big hit, necessarily resulted in anything good for the Giants. Yeah, for sure. Only trying it three times, I would argue, is probably not enough. But and, you know, there there should be ways to scheme around it a little bit with Max Protect. I don't know. But at least maybe if you tried it more, there would be potential ways to create big plays. But they didn't. And it's OK. That's a whole nother discussion. But one thing I do want to ask, Nick, is this. We have to look at this objectively. We can't just, oh, we can't, and we don't, but I'm saying it's not fair to the fans and it's not fair to the future of this team to have just pure rose-colored glasses. Is something to be made of the fact that, because obviously after this fumble, the, the Giants had a really good stop on a short field that, you know, the Raiders are working from the Giants 30, but they did put three points on the board, even though the Giants defense was able to stop the Raiders on this one, or, um, you know, in the red zone. But that's now two weeks in a row where Daniel Jones turnover the first one last week, obviously, the Kansas City interception was all on him. And this fumble wasn't all on him, but at the same time, he deserves some blame for it. He's got to hold that ball. Led to points for the other team. And the Giants aren't necessarily getting in shootouts, 45-42 type games where three points here, seven points there that you give to the defense via your, your quarterback uh, can't hurt you as much. They're in games that are like 23-16 to 16 and 20-17 to 17 and 23-20 to 20, where they need to re- – every point matters. Every single point matters. They're kicking field goals. They're holding the other teams to field goals. They're kicking more field goals. They're holding the other team to more field goals. So every point matters. Is it fair to really look at it like in some ways he's been hurting the team with these turnovers, at least just in the last two weeks? Absolutely. Anybody who turns the football over is hurting their team with turnovers. So, yes. And philosophically speaking, it's not like that's something I can totally get on a quarterback for if they're also taking chances and creating chunk plays and throwing touchdowns at a high rate. Cause I'm okay with turnovers in that regard. I was, I've always been okay with it. Even the Eli years where he was at his best with Gilbride, he still turned the ball over a decent amount and threw. I think it was like, I think he got to somebody tell me the interceptions on Eli. I mean, let me see Eli Manning interceptions, t- 2011 season, obviously his best season. I'm curious how many threw that season. Cause I feel like he still threw a decent amount of interceptions in that season. He did. He threw 16 interceptions that year. He threw for 4,933 yards with 29 touchdowns. So, you know, I'm okay with that. If you're going to throw for 40 for nearly 5,000 yards with 29 touchdowns, almost to a game that I'm all in on. Uh, if you're going to, you know, turn the ball for 16 times or plus whatever he fumbled that year. But as far as what we've seen the last two weeks, there haven't been too many of those big throwing uh, chunk plays and touchdowns in the red zone uh, and overall, but there have been a decent amount of turnovers that have led to other teams points. So the Raiders tack one on here and the giants get the ball back now down 10 to seven for this fourth series. Um, I wanted to get what you what what your takeaways were from this series. Anything that stood out to you? Wasn't a great possession, I would say. It started well with running the football, quick dump offs to Booker, and I thought Rudolph did a great job on the third and three, finding space and kind of working back yes. inside on that stick flat concept. Look at Grandpa Rudolph, man, keeping the chains moving. You love to see it. 
However, on the next play, the Giants attempted a play-action deep smash concept that was covered well, and Skura was called for a holding penalty, which put the Giants in a first and 20, which eventually led to a third and 21 after an Elijah Penny screen was blown up. Bro, let me ask you this, though. The Kadarius Tony play, how predictable was that pre-snap? <laughs> It was so predictable, man. I mean, it's almost like they're giving up here on third and 21. They're not really a type of team that could take it. And it's so funny because it's like you texted me during the game. We both saw we're like, we were if we can sit here from our freaking couches and know that that pass is going to be snapped and thrown to Tony. You can be sure as hell that the people who are paid to do this paid really good money and fired all the time when they're not performing at a high level are going to be able to figure out that ball's going to Tony. And that's exactly what happened. here. The Raiders were all over this play and led to a uh, you know a loss of six the Giants kept going backwards on this drive this was the this was it I didn't realize it was that fast by the way I didn't realize they tried another screen again just you know two drives later once this one didn't work that was it man how do you stop throwing screens at that point I get it to where it's almost like so this is kind of something I'm I'm curious about Nick because before earlier we talked about how like when the Giants tried to go empty they were obliterated so bad and Jones fumbled the football they were scared to try it again for a little while same thing happened after this screen pass that went from minus seven to penny they didn't try it again is that good coaching or is that like you know is that coaching scared? I don't know. Like, I don't know if schematically they just feel like they can't do it, but they can because the first screen they attempted the Booker would have worked for a big gain if he caught the football cleanly. And it's not like they didn't have any, like they hit Ingram on a, on a big play. You know, they, I think they ran another, um, what's it called empty later that wasn't bad like it went for a decent gain so what are your thoughts on the decision to kind of shut down empty and to shut down the screen game after two really bad losses it was making sense from the from the fact that they were able to rush the football they were able to establish the run with Devontae Booker they were ripping off five six seven yard runs with Booker so they didn't want to put Daniel Jones in that situation with this offensive line. So they were playing conservatively. And I don't necessarily fully agree with that, but I can see where they're coming from because every time they tried to deviate from that, it didn't work out for them. As for the screen, I wish they still tried it. This was just man coverage and Corey Littleton was all over Elijah Penny. He wasn't baited at all. And no one even had a chance at blocking Corey Littleton on this play. Daniel Jones releases the football. Once Penny catches it, Littleton's right there to meet him. And the only blocker in the area is Billy Price, who didn't have any realistic shot to actually execute this block. Or when the Raiders were in zone coverage, maybe they could have tried this, but it doesn't seem like every time they try it against man coverage that those blockers can get out there to kick that guy out. We saw it a couple weeks ago as well against the Carolina Panthers with Jeremy Chin flying up, making the tackle on Devontae Booker. Matt Parrott, a lot of people were all over Matt Parrott. Like, oh, you got to make that block. It's like, bro, that's a difficult block to make, man. Lay off the kid here, you know? So I, I think, you know, since the Raiders ran a decent amount of man coverage, they, they just strayed away from it because it didn't necessarily work on the two tries that they did. I don't necessarily agree with it, but that's probably the mindset. Fair enough. I can see it. Um, you know, they're thinking go both ways. All right, Raiders put up uh, a punt after that. Giants get the ball back and go on a nine-play, 43-yard field goal drive that ends at the Vegas 17 with another missed red zone opportunity. But this drive does feature my favorite throw of the game from Daniel Jones, by far at least my favorite. First and 15, the Giants are backed up after a penalty, and Jones rips a 14-yarder in between three defenders. I'm re-watching it now. There is no, no window here. Do you want to talk about tight window? How about no window? He really has to put this ball exactly where he does as Galladay breaks in between two defenders with a third defender in the middle of the field lingering in some type of robber type role or really just playing you know in the zone there um awesome throw by Jones great play here what were your thoughts on it yeah it was a great throw man just 
right through the the window that it needed to get to, man. Because the Giants got their first field goal after this drive. You love the that 14-yard slant to Kenny Galladay. It was, like you said, man, just a great zip through a tight window. And then right after it, second and one. 20-yard run for Devontae Booker. What a decisive run. He really picks his hole well, and then he moves so smoothly in and out of his cuts, I feel like. like The way he transitions his body after he first makes that cut to the right and then gets back up field just looked awesome. It looked so smooth on this one. Love the second one run by Booker, man. That was a great cutback because a lot of bodies were just stacked in the middle. You see the double teams form with the guard and center, the tackle, and the non-play side guard, backside guard. And Booker, man, he feels 52 coming from that weak side, and he just bounces himself over through Colin Johnson, who was motioned to that side of the line of scrimmage, finds a cutback lane, gets into the secondary, and ends up getting tackled by the cornerback and the safety. And this is yet another really nice run by Devontae Booker that ends up going for 20. Fun to watch. Really great individual play by Booker here. You want to talk about great individual plays the next, very next play. I mean, they know a run's coming. They blow this run up in the backfield. And Booker finds a way to turn this, what should have been a negative, into a five-yard gain to get them into second and five here. Awesome play here. Absolutely, because Jonathan Hankins, former Giant, just absolutely penetrates right through Matt Skura's inside shoulder here. And Skura does a solid job kind of recollecting himself, but... Hankins is right in Booker's face. Skura allows Booker to bounce around that, but there's really no chance that this should have been a yard of positive gain here. There should have been another Raider there to absolutely blow up this play. We've seen this so many times, but Hankins' penetration doesn't end up really doing much other than throwing off the the actual intention of the play, but instead Booker extemporizes, picks up five yards. Brilliant run to set up a second and five. So many good individual plays from Booker in this game, man. It really is fun to see. Now, obviously, the big debate is over that next play, the second or later in the drive, the second and seven shot with the four verts. The Giants finally run some kind of four vertical concept. Ingram, like you talked about, was kind of open for a little bit. I still wonder about this window. Uh, anything you want to add on this play from your point of view? I don't want to put you on the spot with that, but like, do you feel like I know we talked a little bit about in the, uh, you know, we're going to talk about that in the future podcast. We're dipping into the future, but. I don't know, man. These are such small opportunities. Like these are like every opportunity the Giants have in the passing game feels like it's never perfect. And this was kind of another example of that to me. Yeah, I don't really knock Daniel Jones for this. Maybe, maybe he could have squeezed this in. But like I said in the future podcast, the reason <laughs> Merrick leaves the middle of the field and goes towards Kyle Rudolph and Darius Slayton is because Jones is looking them off in that direction. So if Jones flashed his eyes back to Ingram. That window automatically closes. And by the time Jones sets his feet to throw the ball to Ingram, Ngakwe is already closing in on him, dude. So he has to step yeah. up in the pocket. And I, I like the concepts, man. It's, you know, four verts out and up from the two number one guys. You know, it, it's on the 25-yard line, so it's not necessarily from a lot of depth here. And you're trying to get those cornerbacks because it is a it is a shortened field to really bite up on the out route. Neither cornerback really does. Everything's covered pretty well here. And then it just ends up being a sack and a really nice play by Ngakwe, which we break down on the future podcast as well. It's just Looked like it was going to be a stunt, heavy penetration into the B-gap, and then Ngakwe ends up not going underneath the penetrator and just says, you know what, I can just run right around Matt Parrott since he's engaged in the penetrator right now. So that's exactly what he does. He ends up getting the sack, loss of four yards. And then the final play on this drive that I wanted to get your take on before I turn it over to you and see if there's anything else we missed. Third and 11 play, yes, I understand. I see it. We all can see it if we watch the film. That Nate Solder is just getting destroyed on this and Jones hits his back foot and soldiers ruin the play already. But aside from that, just looking at the route combinations here, man, 
it's three stop routes at the sticks, man. I just I don't understand why you can't put some stress on the safety here and run some kind of route that is designed to throw toward the pylon in the end zone here instead of this spacing three stops here. Like, I get it. Solder screws it up. But, man, man, we've still seen too much of this from Garrett, too much of what has never worked. Now, I don't love it. I really don't. But I will say, I believe the intention of this play was to the field side where they had a flat route from Kadarius Tony with an in route from, I believe it's Colin Johnson, but it could be Kenny Galladay. It's probably Kenny Galladay because I don't believe they would have Colin Johnson out here. And if you look to that side, this is where Daniel Jones' eyes go kind of initially, but he feels that pressure automatically and he has to step up and that just absolutely blows up his chances of hitting that play and there was a little window on that play because yeah. Kadarius Tony goes to the flat and you see that apex defender flow laterally opening up the window because the defender who is on Kenny Galladay is an off leverage so that play could have worked if Nate Solder doesn't get blown up and if Matt Skurr doesn't get blown up because he ends up getting blown up as well as Billy Price who does a horrible job taking on the 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 nose tackle at first. He tries to pass him to Skura. Skura sees it late, and that ends up being interior pressure. Jones is put in a terrible position here. But all in all, that concept could have worked, but I don't love what was going on down on, on the uh, on the boundary side. You had a quick curl or a quick little spot route from Edmund Ingram, and then a quick curl from Darius Slayton, and then Devontae Booker running in the flat. I, I, I don't love that because, again, that's a low – I feel like a, a low upside type of play. You you need the timing and the rhythm to be very excellent on that play. And it's necessarily not something that's happening too often with the New York Giants in five-man protection. So I don't necessarily love that aspect of it. But if you look to the plate or the field side, like I said before, there was a window there if the protection did hold up. Interesting. That is true, though. That's a great point. I mean, it's just another example of like, what really can you do with this kind of protection? There's so few opportunities. The Giants end up kicking the field goal. The Raiders then kick a field goal when they miss wide open touchdown to Darren Waller. Man, that was a, one of the luckiest plays in the game for the Giants. Derek Carr just totally airmailed that ball. Waller had two or three steps and he was not even past the, the goal line at that point. So much space from the back of the end zone. Lucky there. Giants get the ball back then. This is kind of when that long spell happened. It was like nine, or was it nine and a half minutes of actual game time, a little more than nine and a half minutes where the Raiders had the ball because the McKinney picked six and then the Raiders had a 15 play, 85 yard field goal drive. So it was typical. It was like, it was like a classic Garrett drive, I call it. You know, when you go 15 plays, 85 yards, you sort of accomplish something. You, you move the chains a ton, you burn a ton of clock, but you only get three points out of it. So now it's 16-17, Giants with the lead after that pick six. And the Giants actually put together a pretty solid drive here on this series. They go 13 plays, 62 yards. But once again, when they get into the red zone, they bog down despite having a third and manageable with a third and three at the Vegas 13. Obviously, no no thoughts of going for it on fourth and three from the 13 here. Graham Gano, 32-yard field goal. What stood out to you on this drive specifically? Hey, man, I, I felt like the Giants struggled with Jonathan Hankins a lot on this drive, saw so very conservative approach, a lot of 13 personnel with Corey Cunningham as that big tight end, like we talked about. But dude, I love both those third and eight plays, Dan, man. Yep. But which, which third and eight play did you like better? Because I felt like both of them were were, were players winning one-on-one -on -one matchups, but both of them were also well-schemed, more specifically the Kadarius Tony one, though. Yeah, man, these were two great plays. So I'll start with the first one, the third and eight at the uh, 441 mark of the third quarter here. This is just, to me, one of the best traits that Daniel Jones has. His ability to remain poised in the pocket when he knows he has a window to throw into, but he also knows 
that this de defender is barreling down on him. And Will Hernandez did not do a great job picking up this block. And there was a defender who was barreling in on Jones. If you watch the film of this, even if you watch the broadcast angle, you'll probably see it too. After the throw was made by Jones and he fit the ripped this ball in nicely, Jones is on the ground, on his back. He got laid out this, just before throwing this ball. Even like in his fall-through, I almost felt like the hit was so close that he was going to impact his fall-through, but it doesn't. He gets the ball out there. Great throw by Daniel Jones on this one. Great throw by Daniel Jones and just an excellent release by Kenny Galladay, man. Kenny Galladay presses the outside shoulder of that cornerback who's aligned at a press alignment. So first off, his alignment, Kenny Galladay, he's – about, I would say, in a minus split off the number. So he's inside of the, or outside of the numbers, I should say, by about three, four yards. So there's not a lot of space to operate, but he releases outside, man, and he gets that cornerback to just open his hips towards the sideline before using both his hands to swap the cornerback's inside arm and go right back inside, creating about a yard and a half, two yards of separation. Jones delivers a beautiful ball there, but that's an excellent release and route right there from Kenny Galladay as well. And I want to say this, Nick, because that was an excellent release by Kenny Galladay, and it was an excellent route. And Kenny Galladay has shown really good hands this season. He's catching really tough balls that are thrown to him throughout the game. He's releasing well off the line of scrimmage. You watched this film in depth. We watched both watch this film in depth from the Lions. We saw a really elite-type wide receiver prospect. We were super excited about him, not because the Giants needed a receiver, a true X for Jones. We were excited because we felt like the Giants were buying in on the low on Galladay after an injury-plagued season based on what he put on 2019 film. So to me, man, I do not care about the excuse of the offensive line. Kenny Galladay should not go a single game this season. From this point on, with just two targets, it's unacceptable to give him just two targets. There are ways for him to win one-on-ones within a split second, within snap the ball, catch the ball, hit your back foot, don't drop back, and fire the ball, and he can win some of these one-on-ones. I'm not saying they were there littered throughout the film. Obviously, the Giants didn't try that many to, to get him in too many one-on-ones, but... They have to start trying to do that because he is too damn good of a receiver to get two targets in a game. And if you want to score points, you can't do it by only giving Kenny Galladay two targets. So this was probably one of my biggest gripes with this game plan. It was the total targets, the total involvement for a player like Kenny Galladay. I've washed away with the Tony thing. One target for Tony, that was it. Because I've chalked it up to maybe he's playing hurt. I'm fine with that. But Galladay looked really good on those releases. Galladay looked healthy to me. And he needs to be a bigger part of this game plan. Yeah, he definitely does. But for that specific play, the, the Raiders ended up bringing six. They bailed the apparent apex defender to a deep center field role, which you got to give credit to Daniel Jones here. He recognized what was happening in coverage. Like you said, he had the poise in the pocket. He kept his eyes downfield. He watched Kenny Galladay win. He knew there was no one else other than that cornerback to that side, and then he fired the football. That's just a great play also from a mental standpoint from Daniel Jones. And then the third and eight, man, I want you to break it down. Quarter For those following along, 251 in the third quarter, I see this play, man. I see the I see the route combo, the bunch. I see them getting the free release for Tony. I see the nice release that Tony has and the good ball plays from Jones. And I think to myself, why is it just flashes of this with Garrett? Like, why can't he run more plays like this? Run this play. This ex you can run an exact play and a variation of this play until someone proves they can stop it. Like you've talked about since last season, Nick. I remember you talking about this in depth last year and going over and over about it. Use Bunch to get free releases off the line of scrimmage. They even have a natural pick play, uh, baked into this play that you can never call as a referee. You're never going to see the Giants get flagged for this. It looks totally like the guy's trying to run his route, but it creates that little bit of separation for Tony. It's all he needs. 
I want to see more of this type of stuff. I don't need to see three spacing routes to the sticks on curls, comebacks on third and long, like we saw earlier in this game. This is type this type of stuff you need to run all the time. Absolutely. And you know what? We've seen this similar reduced bunch formation where Jason Garrett uses that number three wide receiver. It's been Kadarius Tony when he's healthy. They use him in motion. They send him towards Daniel Jones and they send him back. And they use that as an identifier to see what coverage the Raiders are in. And the Linebacker, of all people, ends up following Kadarius Toney and going back to his spot, which gives Daniel Jones the nod that this is man coverage, mismatch nightmare. Kadarius Toney against a linebacker from a reduced bunch where he's going to get a free release well inside the numbers here, right? Well inside the numbers, which means there's going to be so much space to the outside since there is nobody outside because it's a reduced bunch and it's man coverage. So there's no cornerback out there. So this is just an easy pitch and catch, easy identification from Daniel Jones and an easy first down for the Giants. The rest of the drive was mostly duo runs, a G lead with both guards pulling off the counter, and then a first and 10 play action dump off where Jones was nailed, resulting in a roughing the passer, which extended the drive, yeah, gave the Giants good field position. And then ultimately it set up the third and three, three by one set, which was blown up by Nate Solder getting beat bad by Max Crosby, forcing Daniel Jones to step up. I wasn't in love with the play call. The play call, wow, that was really Brooklyn of me. Nor was I in love with the third and 11 call on the previous drive. This one was a, the third and three was a pivot from Darius Slayton with a dig over the top and an underneath inside breaking route from Evan Ingram. All three were covered well. The pivot has worked for me in the past, but not nearly as much this season. Seems like teams are really tracking on that because it's a big part of what Jason Garrett wants to do. Yep. And it's much better executed by Sterling Shepard or a healthy Kadarius Tony rather than a Darius Slayton. Did you see the same thing? Yeah, you nailed it right there. That's something that they're tracking a lot of what Garrett likes to do. That's a that's another big problem with Jason Garrett right now in the offense. The opposing defense corners are tracking. They do a lot of the same stuff. Um, and that's a great example, man. That, that, that just hasn't... They have the guys that it should be able to work with. Like, that's basically like what tony's best like that's the best thing that's what should fit perfectly in my mind into his skill set and his best traits i guess i would say but when you put it on film too much like you said teams start to track it and that's that's obviously a big problem for the giants right now in the pivot route man we we applauded it when sterling shepherd would run it i feel like it's much more refined but even then dude it, it gets covered Kind of easily dude and even in man coverage and he's right. a pretty good separator in man coverage so on those third and short situations when the Giants pass, it seems like a lot of the time there's a pivot. And these defensive coordinators are way too smart, way too savvy, watch way too much film for you to consistently get away with that, especially with Darius Slayton, who's not the best in and out of his breaks, especially relative to Kadarius Tony and Sterling Shepard. Raiders then go eight plays, 70 yards, and miss a field goal. That was unexpected and lucky. Kept the Giants the 20 point, I'm uh, sorry, 20 to 16 lead. Giants then go on a little drive here in the seventh series, uh, start to get a couple things going. Uh, Jones has that unbelievable scramble on third and seven. We're just, <laughs> just brisk his old brisk his old body here. Honestly, it's so dangerous spinning into contact um, and then blindly getting hit, but didn't get hurt. Got the first down, uh, but eventually the Giants punt from their own 49 here. What led to that punt and what'd you see on this drive uh, that the Giants could have done a better job of? And you're right, dude. Great individual effort on that third and seven run to pick up the first down. I mean, I didn't love the play call by Garrett there. I mean, it was a three-by-one set. I like having Evan Ingram as the number three, running a deep horizontal crossing route kind of through the middle of a middle-of-the-field open defense. It bends towards the boundary side a little bit. But three curls from the other receivers, I mean, Dan, come on, bro. What are we doing there? 
there's just too much of that littered throughout the film, throughout the two years of Garrett, the three curl stuff. It doesn't really mesh with the idea that the offensive line is so bad. There are still other ways to do things when it comes to your route combinations. Like that is not synonymous with battle line. It's not like battle line. You have to run three curls to the sticks. That's not, that's not how it works. That's not a thing. Like it's just, we, I know we might think it's a thing because we've seen it so much and it's starting to get ingrained in our brains, but it's not a thing. And, it's a problem. I wanted to get your take on a play earlier in this drive, though. That really stood out to me. It's the second and seven the Giants faced uh, right away on the drive from their own 23 with 8.53 uh, left in the fourth quarter. I wanted to get your opinion on this, Nick. I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but if you have any, th- if you have any notes on this, I did want to get your take or if you do remember this play at all whatsoever. In my mind here, I thought it was an example from what I saw. This was obviously the throw he uh, was off target on from a ball placement standpoint to Darius Slayton. To me, it felt like this was an example of Jones reading it pre-snap, locking into what he thinks is going to be there pre-snap, and then throwing the ball there. Because if you look at the alignment of the Raiders' defensive backs on this play with the single high and just focus in on 89, Kadarius Tony. It felt to me like he had a step running the seam on the left side of the play. And the middle of the field safety was a full 20 yards removed from him when he had that step. Jones doesn't even consider this pass, right? Like this is not any in at any part of the play. Jones is looking there. Or Jones is thinking about going there. He just turns his hips, flips them, and throws that ball to Slayton there. To me, this was an example of what I've thought Jones is improving on but still doesn't really do with the best of them in the NFL. And that's kind of his ability to kind of have that sixth sense or that, you know, that knowledge of what could be there at all times to know, you know what, maybe that I'll take a look at this. Maybe I do have Kadarius Tony with a step in the seam here. Did you get that feel from this play at all? Not necessarily because Trevon Merrig, his alignment before the snap is towards Kadarius Tony outside of the middle of the field to the field side, right on the seam. So if Daniel Jones were to look in that direction, he would just not have a throw. In order to make this decision by Daniel Jones, he has to, he has to either hold that safety and then flip his hips and fire to Tony, who would be open if he were to do that, or make the decision that he's going to have Darius Slayton on this quick comeback route, which it seems like it's there. He tries putting it back shoulder. I feel like Slayton's a little slow out of his break. He turns inside. I'm not sure if Daniel Jones expected him to, to break a little bit earlier. It seems like he did. And there could have been just a miscommunication there. But, but why can't he do the first thing you said? That's kind of my thought. Like, I think he should do the first thing you said. I think he gave two options. I think the first option was clearly the best option. What's holding him back from doing that, from looking right and then snapping back to his left and making that throw? Because that's the best play there. The best play there is not the Slayton comeback for four yards. It's the shot to Tony in the seam. And who knows what happens if he catches that ball? It's It comes down to Trevon Merrick, though. I mean... Trevon Merrick, realistically, I mean, he's flowing towards Darius Slayton's side. He's flowing towards the eyes. But once Daniel Jones snaps his hips back there, he's driving downhill on Kadarius Tony and trying to cut that angle off. So maybe just because he was shaded there pre-snap, Jones just avoided that whole situation entirely and went towards Darius Slayton, who he thought he could trust to win this one-on-one matchup outside on a back shoulder. But the communication, the timing wasn't there. But you know what? I mean, there's an argument there that, that you're posing, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad argument whatsoever. We've seen quarterbacks totally look off and then come back off and throw that pass and connect. So it's just uh, comes down to him trusting Darius Slayton, and it just didn't end up working out on a, on a play, which was one-on-one. It was well-covered, but 
if this throw or if Darius Slayton's route was one yard less, or if the throw was a little bit better from Daniel Jones, it would have connected on the back shoulder and moved the chains. And that's kind of part of the problem, at least for me. Even if he does connect on this, it's just a move the chain seven yarder. But if he sees and connects on the Tony one, it could be the big play that opens up this game. Who knows what happens if Tony catches it in stride, if he puts a great ball here, catches it in stride. Tony in space, if he has a step on the D-back and that safety is still so far removed, he might be able to put a move on that safety and turn this into a touchdown or turn this into a 50-yard gain. Maybe gets tracked down at the end. The play to Slayton, it has no upside of that. The play to Slayton can be caught. Timing can be great and it could go just for seven yards to the sticks, and the Giants have to then do it all over again from the 30-yard line. Yes, they have a new set of downs, but they still have nowhere closer, really, to seven points on the board. And I just feel like a lot of the times, man, this to me, for, for starters, Nick, this was like one of the only plays I thought, like, okay, look, Tony has a step here. or Player X has a step here. A big play can be had. I really didn't see too many routes that were that open, or not even that open because it wasn't even that open. But like, they, there were not that many passing opportunities based on the route combinations. There seemed to never be with this Jason Garrett offense, I guess. It's just it's unfortunately how it feels when I watch the film. There's just not too many where I'm like, oh, look at that route. He could have thrown it there, and that could have been a touchdown or it could have been a big play. But I do think that this was an example. Maybe it's just been baked into Jones by working with Garrett for this long because we know when Garrett got here, he said, the first thing I'm going to do, the most important thing is cutting down on Jones's turnovers. And I'm not sure that hasn't just been totally baked into him because he quickly goes to this solution, quote unquote, which is a solution. Like if the timing is right with Slayton, he'll connect there. But what does that even get you? It just gets you seven yards and a new set of downs. That's not enough. It hasn't proven to be enough over time in this offense. They obviously don't score points. They haven't scored 30 all year. So I, I just felt like this was an example of maybe leaving a, a potential big play on the field because they didn't really ever go for it. In Jones's defense, the, the throw wasn't great, but it was a three-step drop read, half-field read, just read that defender, see if you'd like to leverage and fire. And he also had a guy kind of right in his face because Nate Solder is, well, Nate Solder. Yeah, it's fair. They're obviously extenuating circumstances here for sure. I also want to know if you saw the – it was overall a good game for Billy Price in the run game, but uh, did you see the play in, uh, right in the fourth quarter or, or yeah, with eight with 8.06 here where Price uh, kind of got bitched a little bit by Crosby here as he tried to pull? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Crosby is a – he's a bad man, dude. Yes. And, yeah, he he penetrates so quickly and as, as a – it's hard, man, to, to be a center, to snap the ball and then get your hips oriented towards the play and then pull. And he tries to, but, I mean, Corey Cunningham is yeah. so bad inside, dude. And there's really nothing. It's not even It's not even Billy Price's fault. That's not Billy it's Price's not, fault. It's not. It's yeah. not. I was going to say, it's such a tough ass for a center. Like, I don't know. There's so few centers who can do this. Well, I mean, it's it's more on Corey Cunningham because Cun Cunningham is the one who's supposed to block down on the right. big pull concept, allow Solder and Price to be lead blockers for Booker. It's just he doesn't block down. Price should be the guy uh, being the lead blocker for Booker here because Solder's going to kick out the end guy there. And Kyle Rudolph's supposed to take care of 34. He doesn't really do a good job. And then it should be Price picking up 52, the linebacker there, and Booker should be free in the space. But Crosby, bro, he's what a steal by Mike Mayock. Yeah, that's unfortunately they don't have too many other steals that really. No, they <laughs> they've been done, they've arguably the worst drafting team since Mayock got here got there, unfortunately for them um and for their fans. Anything else on this drive that stood out to you? I thought I was a little concerned with the third and six where the drive kind of ended the 49 before the punt. I thought it was a bad pick. Yeah, it just seemed like right it was an side. overthrow there. I wonder if it was a yeah. miscommunication. 
I thought it was just Jones throwing it because he had he needed to get rid of the football because it was such a bad pickup by the right side of the line. There's another free blitzer play. What did you make of that? It's a free blitzer play, Dan, and the the Raiders do a good job slanting their linebacker, Max Crosby, inside, occupying Will Hernandez and Nate Solder, and then they bring a defensive back to be a, essentially a free rusher on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has to realize this and throw this high. And he might have had a miscommunication with Kenny Galladay, who ended up running some sort of curl or, or something of that sort, and he ends up throwing the ball deep outside the numbers, and no one is even near it other than maybe the safety, you could say. But this is a third and six. So you have Evan Ingram releasing on a little stutter step up over route, and then I believe it's John Ross runs an under route with, I think, Kadarius Tony on an in. And there's just a lot of bodies in that area. But if you look, the stutter step of Evan Ingram kind of clears out the linebacker and John Ross is open on that quick little drag route, that quick little under route. And if he could have caught that in stride, he would have Kenny Galladay blocking the cornerback. And all he would have to do is outrun the linebacker who was cleared out by Evan Ingram. And I think that could have been a pickup there. And I think Jones could throw hot here. He sees his defensive back coming. You could just get rid of the ball, hit John Ross in space. You could do a lot worse than getting the football into John Ross's hands in space. So that, that might've been a missed opportunity there. Yeah, we've seen examples of Jones not being great at throwing hot in the last two weeks. In my mind, at least, I thought I saw an example of that. Against Kansas City, I stand by that. I think he needs to throw hot to the underneath the slate in there or much faster to Tony. But that's going back to last week. Um, ultimately, I think it's also partially just, you know, who is it on when you have these plays where there's just a free blitzer? Is that on the quarterback for not setting up the protection beforehand? Is that on the offensive line for not recognizing it? I don't know. But we don't want to see that, and we keep seeing that with the Giants now. We saw it last week, and we see it again here in a key third down, just blitz free blitzers. You never want to hear the word free blitzers because some someone didn't do their job to, to get to make sure that player was accounted for. These players should be accounted for in my mind. Um, and so I guess we'll just hope that improves. I don't know. Who would you say that's mostly on? So I think it should have been communicated by the wide receivers, and it might have been, or Nate Solder, because it was disguised really well. I mean, it's a – reduced tight bunch towards the field side and the cornerback who is over the top of the wide receiver on the line of scrimmage is the one who ends up blitzing. But on the other side of the formation, they bring an extra rusher as well. So there's six rushers coming. Devontae Booker pays attention to that rusher, but you had slide protection towards that side. This is really just really good scheme by the Raiders because they anticipated a blitz from that side. So they slid all three of their linemen that way and had Booker there, which schemed three rushers against two the blockers on the right side with two of those rushers slanting inside, giving that free rush. It was excellent scheme by Las Vegas wasn't picked up and it facilitated Jones's clock, which, you know, that's not a huge knock on Jones. There wasn't a lot going on here. He had to get rid of the football. So we were nitpicking a little bit before I would say, but that's just a, a good scheme. I love seeing stuff like this from defensive coordinators, man. I, I really do. I, I'm a, it's one of the things I love seeing on film, to be honest. It's a nerdy, that's nerdy. And that's fair, Nick. We can just give credit where it's due. When the, when the defensive coordinator comes up with a really good disguise blitz, give credit where it's due. But it has popped up a bit for the Giants. Then finally, the Giants, this is where they really establish their winning at the point of attack. They're beating the opposing defensive front on their offensive line. Physical football game. Football's a physical game. Let's show it. Let's prove it. We have to run here. We want to run here. We want to burn clock. And they do it. They go six plays for 30 yards after the interception by McKinney. And they put a field goal on the board. Is there any runs you wanted to break down here? I mean, Eli Penny had an incredible drive here for the Giants. Runs of 11 and 12 yards. A lot of yards after contact on both of those runs. Eli Penny took someone's soul 
on the second play, the first and 10, 12 yard run, the cornerback, man, the contained defender came downhill. Kyle Rudolph did an excellent job blocking his guy down the line of scrimmage. So this guy tries to squeeze tight and Penny just lowers his shoulder and runs the guy over. Like that better be on angry runs, man. Like Kyle Brandt better give this guy some acknowledgement for that run, because that was a big man run right there from Elijah Penny. Yeah, for sure. Anything else to take away on this drive before the field goal? I mean, I'll say this, Nick. I didn't love the end of the drive uh, sequence when they got to the Las Vegas uh, 27. They had moved the ball 23 yards at that point, and they kind of just went into a shell and just said, okay, that's it for this drive. Let's burn some clock. Let's keep the clock moving by completing short passes or easy high-percentage passes in front of the sticks, um, and let's make sure the Raiders have to use all three of their timeouts before the final possession. Meanwhile, yeah, they ended up using all three of the timeouts, but time was never a factor in why the Raiders didn't come back and tie this game. The Raiders had two minutes and 44 seconds, the two-minute warning plus you know, all that time, and they drove all the way down into scoring range. It was an incredible play by Quincy Roche that ended this football game. So what were your thoughts on that decision there to force the Raiders to use all timeouts and prioritize that over maybe trying to create more first downs or even a touchdown in this spot to, you know, to take a lead that was bigger than seven points? It's conservative in nature, but the Giants were having success running the football, and they tried to do it again on a first and 10. They ended up getting two yards. Then they tried working the play-action rollout to the boundary. It was like a one negative one-yard gain by Elijah Penny. Everything was covered up pretty well, but that set up a third-nine situation. They didn't want to put the ball necessarily in harm's way, you know, kick the field goal and go up by a full touchdown here. So they just throw, what do you think, a stick route to Evan Ingram. But I kind of like what they did with Kadarius Tony here because they have a stack. It's a three-by-one set. They have a stack at the seam, so it's really, really tight to the field side. Evan Ingram is on the line of scrimmage. Kadarius Tony is off. Evan Ingram runs OTB over the ball, so just basically a quick little spot route. And I love how Kadarius Tony releases outside. His stem is outward leaning, outward leaning, getting that defender to expand in that direction. And then he darts back, and there seems to be a throwing window there for a brief second. But by that time, he gets into his break. Daniel Jones is already releasing the football towards Evan Ingram. And there is a linebacker in the vicinity as well. And it's safe to say the linebacker would have been all over that if Daniel Jones' eyes didn't go to Evan Ingram and that kind of influenced him into that direction. So I like that route concept though to expand the defender, but it didn't seem like there was a lot open here either that just tried to pick up the first down. Didn't love the play call, but I can see why the Giants wouldn't want to put Daniel Jones back there and and have him risk getting a sack fumble in, in a big spot. Fair enough. Anything else on this game offensively? Because obviously then, you know, fumble, great fumble. By Quincy Roche, great strip sack. Just a fun play to watch. It's always good to watch big, awesome plays either side of the ball. More fun maybe on offense, but it's still fun on defense. And obviously the Giants finally got to do something they don't haven't gotten to do a lot uh, in the last four years under this current regime, and that's kneel. It's kneel the football. You win. You just can kneel it. So anything else on this offense that we didn't touch on overall as we uh, previewed the game and we got started earlier today? Nah, man, let's get into some superlatives. Okay, let's get into some some perlatives about the New York Giants offense in this game. And so we can start with the unheralded player of the game for you, Nick. You know what, man? It wasn't that great in pass protection, but since he has been tragically bad, basically since he arrived (laughs) to the New York Giants, I'm going to tip my cap to Billy Price because he had some run plays, bro, where he was moving bodies, bro, where he was using the aggressiveness of the Raiders defense, penetrating upfield against them. I felt like he showed a lot of processing in these abilities. I felt like he did a solid job in those ace blocks. And his play in this game against the Raiders was, I would say, significantly better than anything I've seen this season so far. So I'm going to go with Billy Price. 
that's a great pick for the offense as far as unheralded player goes. We can't no longer put somebody like Devontae Booker on there. He's been heralded. I would say Price is probably the best example of the unheralded player of the game. I'm trying to think if I can come up with anyone else that's fair to put in this. I don't think anyone else really qualifies. One more, one more. And I think he's heralded though too, but you want me to say him or you want to guess it? Who you're talking about? Um, I would, if you're going to say, I mean, I guess you would say Kenny Galladay. No, no, but I do like that one. But for me, <laughs> how could how could you say that was a terrible guess? The guy had two targets all game. Bad guess. Yeah. Bad guess. There were two great targets, but two targets all game. Uh, who are you? I'm not I'm not really sure you're for, talking. for me. I'll give you a hint. He's a he's a low key fan favorite, despite the fact that he doesn't do all that much in terms of flash. Are you talking about Caden Smith? I'm not, no. but I did like that block. It's actually I'm going to say it though. It's Elijah Penny. I, I think. Oh, he could. Penny, Penny. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, he had a nice unheralded game. Yeah, I think I think he definitely is somebody. You don't want to talk about him much. Devontae Booker like, left the game with a hip injury. You know what's devastating too for Devontae Booker? He had over a hundred yards, bro, and he got tackled behind the line of scrimmage for a three yard loss. Ended the game with ninety nine. Devastating. That's so annoying. Yeah, that's super annoying. <laughs> Just from the stat standpoint, I'm gonna give unheralded player of the game. Price is my pick if I had to pick one that was that was this my number one pick. But if I want to go different. I'm like, you know, I'm going to give it to, it's weird, but I'm going to give it to Nate Solder. And I don't, and he was horrible getting past direction. You'll be horrible the rest of his career. <laughs> He's not, this is done. Like he can't play tackle in the NFL. He shouldn't have been in this position. I have no idea what the giants were thinking with it of, uh, about him when they saw him in practice this whole off season. That's a whole nother story, but man, the guy delivered sometimes in the run game. That was like the first, I remember when I first started doing this podcast before you were here, when it was me and Turchin. We were the only ones on the bandwagon of during the first half of the 2018, or I'm sorry, during the second half of the 2018 season. Remember when during that back end of the first uh, Shermer year, they kind of went on a little bit of a run. The Giants just start to run the ball well. They think they signed someone like at the, I can't remember it, like it was cut just during their bye week and they signed him and they started him right away at right guard. I think it was, uh, I, I'm totally, it was a Jam- I'm blanking on his name, but you Come remember on, when they kind of, yes, yes. Remember when they caught a little bit of fire in the run game, 2018? I do, yeah. Solder was we, me and Turch are on record on some of these old big blue banters. You dig them up, anyone can, of saying like, "Wow, another good game from Nate Solder in the run game." Like Nate Solder with another sick game blocking. Like it wasn't they weren't like all pro level like Trent Williams type stuff in the run game, but he was like their best block run blocker by far, and tw- not by far, but by a solid margin during that 2018 run, and. I saw a few things I like from him in the run game in this game. So I'll give it to him. Like if he can just do that, uh, it's better than what he's been doing. I, I think that's a, a safe call, but you're the way you laid it out is the, is the most accurate thing. It's like, he should not be starting. <laughs> he's not great in pass protection because that can't be overstated in my opinion. Yeah, no, it cannot be. All right. Best route run. Best route run is the Kenny Galladay third and eight. 14 yard slant where he uh, just won outside and just broke back inside. And, and uh, that was just a beautiful release off the line of scrimmage, a beautiful way to get that defensive back to get his hips towards the outside and beautiful work with his hands and his hips and his feet to get back inside, to present the window for Daniel Jones. Yeah. I'd give it that one. I'll also throw in, I'll throw my hat in the mix for the uh, Kadarius Tony third and eight. Just again, no waste of space for Tony on his, in, on his cuts in and out of breaks. Just, Love how he doesn't waste space. Just an awesome, I think he can be a really awesome route runner as he continues to refine his game. Best throw of the game for you. I think it's going to be the same one I have. I, I'm not, we're not going to reinvent the wheel and just try to be different again. Remember, we have the same <laughs> best, we just have to take it. 
Yeah, it's Kenny Galladay's 14-yard slant in that tight window sure. on the slant flat, man. That was beautiful. For sure. Same thing for me. What about the best play call of the game from Jason Garrett? Here's the third Nate Kadarius Tony out route mismatch versus the linebacker. You take advantage of that mismatch, identify it pre-snap, and then use your star rookie, who may be a little bit hobbled, to run into ample space. He's going to outrun a linebacker if the dude had one leg. So good, uh, good play call by Jason Garrett there. Agreed. I don't have anything different. I think that would be my favorite one. I did like the screen call early in the game, though. The one to Devontae Booker that was kind of just mishandled. I thought it was a great call timing-wise. Like, it um, it caught them off guard, and they had blocking. I also love the, the play call he had on the second five, the Ingram touchdown for 30 yards. I'm I'm not happy he didn't, he didn't take too many more chances after that, but I did like him taking a chance there on that first drive of the game. Best player overall for you? Devontae Booker, and uh, I don't even think it's close. Yeah. No, no, I can't. I can. There's no way I can give you anything else with a straight face. It's obviously Devontae <laughs> Booker in this game for sure. Pass blocking grade one to 10. We haven't been just I love to do a little recap of these and we get into them. Looking back to the notes, we haven't had a good one uh, in a long time. I think the Saints one was our best one of the year. It wasn't even that high, but it was it was over the five mark. Are we going to are we going to beat the five, the average mark in this one with your pass blocking grade? We are not. I'm at three point six. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, no. they were getting beat pretty bad. It was more scheme and and uh, uber-aggressive or uber-conservative play calling that, that prevented the Giants from attacking downfield and didn't end up getting Daniel Jones killed because he was only sacked, I believe, those two times by Yannick Ngakwe. I mean, Max Crosby was quiet, but he was getting pressure, man. He was getting in his face, and it was a lot of quick game, a lot of get the football out of our hands, a lot of running the football to slow it down. But when they were tasked to drop back, it wasn't pretty. So I'm going to go with that 3.6. This is actually going to be my lowest grade of the year, 1.3. I'm going to give it, and I'll explain why. This is the worst pass protection I thought I saw from the Giants all year, and my reason for that being if you have to design a game plan like this one because of the pass protection is so because your pass protection versus their pass rush is so outmatched, you can't go higher than like you got to be. I mean, it's it's unheard of to have a game plan that was like I've never seen a game plan this conservative in nature since I started following this team. There's definitely never been a tape I've watched. I mean, the, the Giants attempted 20 passes and averaged 4.2 yards per attempt and threw for 110 passing yards in NFL football game. Only one team. This quarterback has thrown for fewer yards this season. I believe it was Brissett, but it might have been uh, – no, it was Davis Mills who threw for 76, I believe, or 78. You don't want to be in the Davis Mills range of passing games at any point in your lifetime following a team or, or you know, or watching a team. So, again, how much of that can be blamed on the offensive line? A lot of it. And so if that's the case and a lot of it can be blamed on the pass protection, to have a game plan like that, man – and like you said, Nick, the times they even tried to do anything somewhat aggressively in the passing game, there was no chance on most of them, completely destroyed by these pass pro protections by Solder specifically and Parrot. And at times, Scare, like you said, and even Will Hernandez had some bad reps. Like no one in Price had a bad rep or two. So I, I got to go one point. What did I say? 1.4. I think that's the highest I can go. 1.4, man. Oof. Yeah, man, yeah but bad. you know what? It's. It's warranted, though, man. But what was your run blocking, dude? Because I wonder who was higher, me or you, because I'm pretty high on the run blocking here. Yeah, the run blocking, uh, I'll give it an 8.2 for the run blocking for me. I think that's the best grade I've given all season, and it might have been the best grade of either of us combined in a game. Were you higher than that? I was. I was 8.6. So I think it's it's fair, though, 
to to be eight point two to maybe even dip into the sevens because there were some runs mm. that went for five six yards that were just excellent adjustments by Devonte Booker because Mister Hankins himself, man. <laughs> which we're going to bring up in the future podcast as well. He was kind of penetrating, bro. He was penetrating and he was beating Billy Price and Matt Skura on a couple different plays. I thought Will Hernandez was Will Hernandez. I mean, he had one play where he looked for work. I believe it was the second Yannick Ngakwe sack. He looked for work and he absolutely put Max Crosby on his back in pass protection. Great to see, right? But there were still those plays, man, in run game where he just isn't really all that efficient, where it's a great rep here and a bad rep here, and he looks lethargic here, and he doesn't look great on this one. But, hey, look, he clears a path here. So, you know, I I think I'm going to stick with 8.6, but I I can definitely see the 8.2 that you led. Fair enough. Anything else in the offense before we turn the page and transition into the defense, which obviously is going to be fun to talk about? No, no, I think uh, we're let's uh, let's get that going, man. I'm going to be excited to break down this defense. A lot of notes. All right, thank you for everybody tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. You know where to support us. This will be the one time I don't repeat myself as I normally tend to do with you know the help for the show supporting us. But thank you, we really do appreciate your continued support, even in these seasons that you know haven't been going the way we've hoped they have for the Giants. Good times are ahead. I always say that. You know, it 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 has to happen, right? They have to be good eventually. Stick there with us. We'll be right there when they do. All right, everyone, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com